Be with each and every one of you here today on this Father's Day. We say happy Father's Day to all the men in the room this morning. Whether your children are here or not, we're so glad to have you. And whether your dads are here, we celebrate them and all that they mean to us, everything that they've worked to provide for us, the examples that they've lived. And this morning, we just we welcome you to victory. This is the third part in a series called One Thing. And One Thing is all about the law of reduction. We, we are a part of a kingdom that is an upside-down kingdom. Literally, the Bible says in the kingdom of God, if you want to be great, you have to learn to serve. If you want to receive, you have to learn how to give. If you want to lead, you have to learn how to follow and how to graciously serve in the place of Need. If you're going to live, then you have to die. It's all about upside down. It's all about God doing something very totally opposite than the way he does things in the world. And this morning, as we look at this particular one thing message, we're going to be looking at two passages of scripture, both found in the gospel of Luke. But before we jump into that, I want to use kind of a springboard passage that's found in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. And verse 33, probably everybody in the room is familiar with that. It's, it's one that's probably almost, I won't say it's as widely known as John 3.16, because a whole lot of folks the world around who are not churchgoers recognize, whether, whether they can quote John 3.16 or not, they pretty much know that this is all about God sending his son. Well, Matthew 6.33 is pretty much when you get a part of church and you've heard a little bit of preaching, it's, it's one that for sure most Christians have some familiarity with. And so Matthew 6.33 is on the screen, if you would. I'd like for you one more time, I know you've been up and down, but I'd like you to stand with me one more time just for the reading of this first primary text. And I'd like you to read it out loud with me, reading from the English Standard Version of the Scripture. The Bible says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we're so, gracious, we're so thankful today for your gracious gift that you've given to us in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that Romans 8 tells us that with him, how will you not also freely give us all things? Thank you, Lord, that in the law of reduction today, you show us that actually in reducing the things that aren't needed, Lord, that you actually multiply our lives when we can come to a place of priority, when we can find what are the most important things. Father, as I take the next few moments to bring to these wonderful people whom you love so much, thank you today that you are our Heavenly Father on this Father's Day. We celebrate you. We celebrate your love for us, that you gave the most amazing gift. Lord, we bring our gifts of praise and of thanksgiving and worship to you today. 
as our Heavenly Father. And Lord, I ask you to bring to bear, open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see so that we can grasp this principle of importance. There are some things in our lives that are important. They're critical. Everything is not important. But some things are very important. Show us what those are today, I pray. In the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. We welcome you today. It's a wonderful, tropical Southern fried <laughs> church service in the lovely Memphis area here. Um, I, I would just ask you to pray for me today. I did not sleep very much at all last night. Um, our air went out about 9 o'clock last night. And uh, we really didn't notice it because it just started, started gradually climbing. And about 1.30, we heard Abby down the hall. We have a split plan. The master's on one side and the other bedroom's on the other side of the house. And Abby's down there and we're here and are fiddling around. And Dawn says, what are you doing? She said, I'm hot. <laughs> and so Dawn and I go, okay, something's not right. So I'm up vacuuming the vents out, trying to make sure we didn't go too long in changing filters. And uh, I just want to say I praise God today for, for Jennifer Gitchell Nelson's mom and stepdad. They're, they're dealing with it right now <laughs> at our house with Forbes Heating and Air. Give you a little free plug there as it goes out on the internet this afternoon. Um, man, it's so easy to take all that for granted, isn't it? You know, you just, and I'm thankful today. Uh, I walked in and somebody said the, the uh, foyer wasn't cooling. I said, it feels mighty fine to me. <laughs> feels so good. So much better than what I was in. So if I'm a little bit underdressed today, you've got to realize that after I did actually get a shower, that I was just like in a meltdown mode and <laughs> trying my best just to get here in, in uh, one piece. So, um, and yet all of those things are not really eternally significant at all. Some of the things that really get to us and, and, and get under our skin. Isn't it amazing how things uh, go, are going our way and then sometimes things take a little turn and the temperature can raise and you get a little short with some folks? I, I know you can't believe that I've ever done that. Uh, but just, I mean, just we were, we were laying in the bed last night just laughing just at the comedy of this whole thing and just thanking God for, for his provision. And thanking God for how wonderful it's going to be when the air does come back on. So, um, and so I, I want to talk to you a little bit this morning just for a few moments about this whole issue of one thing and what it means to be focused with the intensity that God wants us to have. Because we all are bombarded with voices. We all are challenged with choices. Now, I didn't plan that. That's pretty cool how that just came out right then. But we're marketed, we are manipulated with the latest new and improved materials and the best product and the, the language that is used is so selfish, appealing to our kind of our base nature. You need this. I mean, it's, it's transformed in the last generation where we used to really just actually be truly honest and say, well, I want that. But now we've really begun to convince ourselves in the, the selfishness of our American materialism that we need. And I sat through a presentation on our vacation about something we were looking at. We didn't buy it. And I, I stood strong. No, we're not going to do it. 
But the language they used, I was just so impressed. I was watching this guy because he was a phenomenal salesman. And he said, you guys work hard. You deserve this. And I'm looking at Dawn and I'm going, yeah, we do. We deserve this. <laughs> She's going, uh-uh. <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing how we hear all this stuff across the airwaves. It's on the radio. Uh, you know, this, the, the, you, 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 you get the latest edition of something, whatever it is that you like or that you use, if it's technology or you're an iPhone person, and the 3GS is the coolest thing just for a little while until number four comes out. Now, I know none of you guys struggle with those things like I do. I'm, I'm a gadget person, and it just I'm like, okay, I don't need that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Just... The, you know, the new car models come out, and they're shiny, and they're, they, they look better. And, and, and the new fall line of clothes come out, ladies. And, and you, you, last year's that are still hanging in the closet, perfectly fine, look great. But no, they just don't do. Just, there's a way that we're manipulated with all these things. Everybody say things. things. And so in the middle of all of this passage that we just read this morning, Jesus is speaking to us about the stuff that we deal with. He's talking about birds don't fall out of the sky that the heavenly father doesn't actually see it happen. He, he talks about the hairs on your head that are actually numbered, that he closed the grass of the field. And nobody, even in Solomon's court, had the raiment like the lilies of the field. And he's saying, don't take any thought or worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or the clothes you're going to put on the back or, or your actual life. He said, because the heavenly father knows that you do need, this is the proper usage of the word, need these things. And he says, but, and this is where we are so consumed with all of this, it's the it's, it's, it's the size of the house and how many garages it has and the boat and the, the club that we're a member of and, 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 and the newest, latest, greatest, most powerful, most exclusive, the elitist, the best, the top, all that. I mean, it's all about all the stuff that we're consumed with in the American dream. In the middle of all of this stuff, it's literally crowding out the very life of the gospel. Because Jesus says... If you're consumed with all that stuff, you're just caught up in the very thing that the pagans around you do. And he said, but you folks are called to something different. He says, but, and this is it right here, but, everybody say, but. He says, God knows all these things that you need. He says, but I'm telling you, don't be consumed with the pursuit of that stuff, but seek first. Everybody say first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Everybody say first. First is a word that means priority. It, it's a main thing, the main thing. Priorities are all about the fact that we all have, this is the one area where we are equal. Let me tell you something. This, this, this concept that we literally just about bow down and worship in America of all men being created equally really is, I mean, in the, in the human sense of dignity, everybody is equal. But let me tell you, in every other way, we are not at all. There, there are people this morning, you know, we, we think that slavery was done away with 145 years ago. But saints, I want you to know that there are 26 million people this morning enslaved in sex trafficking in cigarette factories in Thailand, children that are working 16 and 18 hour days, young girls that are being kidnapped in cities in America right now and are being 
jetted out of here and are, are, are in Singapore and other places in all kinds of sex trafficking rings. It's a scary thought to think about the, the condition and the way things are in the world around us. And Jesus is saying, folks, there is some, judge, there's some justice, there's some righteousness that you're supposed to be seeking after. Not the pursuit of all of the things, all the stuff, the latest gadgets, the best this or that. But he says, if you will seek me first, my kingdom, my rulership, my lordship, the fact that I'm the governor, I'm the boss, I'm the king in your life. If you will prioritize that, if you'll keep the main thing the main thing. And this is what I want to give you this morning. This is, this is my big idea that I want to bring to you, and it's in bold. If you look at your notes, and I want you to say this out loud with me. When you make the main thing the main thing, God will take care of all the other things. Now, we're going to do this about three times because I aim for you to go home with this. Say it with me. Here we go again. When you make the main thing the main thing, God will take care of all the other things. That's really good. Come on. Just lift it up a couple notches now. Here we go. When you make the main thing the main thing, God will take care of all the other things. Last time. Here we go. Shout it. When you make the main thing the main thing, God will take care of all the other things. Priority. It's all about first. The one thing that we are equal in, you thought I'd forgotten that, but I'm coming back to it. We're not all born in the same kind of resources. Some are born in very rich families, some in very poor families, some in good, solid, middle-class Christian homes. We're not all raised the same way. We don't have the same benefits. And let's just say before that, before we start talking about socioeconomic statuses, let's just recognize that there is a genetic difference in all of us. Some of us are gifted athletically. Some of us are gifted intellectually. Some of us are gifted in personality, and you can just sell anybody, anything. I mean, you just walk out there and just talk it, and, man, they're buying it from you because you're gifted in that area. Others have mathematical, analytical minds. Some of us can run fast. Others, like myself, can just plod along and like the tortoise who won't quit, but he finally crosses the finish line. I mean, you've heard me say it before. There's some of us that were made for speed. The rest of us, some of us were made for luxury, baby. You know, it's nice and roomy. So we're not the same. We're not equal. There are, there are big differences. Now, let me just say this. Before the Lord, who shows no partiality, yes, there is an equality. And in the sense of human dignity, in that we are all have before our Creator undeniable, inalienable rights of the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, yes, we are created equally. We, we declare that. We receive that. At the same time, we recognize there are all kinds of things that are, that, are, that are drawing upon us. And the one area where we truly are equal is the fact that we all have the same number of hours every day. The sun doesn't last longer in Jim and Nancy's life than it does in mine. The amount of time that I have to work is not less than what Perry has. Everybody in the room has 24 hours in your day and seven days in a week. We all have, let me just say this to you this morning, we all have to deal with this issue of time to be able to do what we have been called to do, time left over to be able to do what we want to do, and hopefully find a sense of fulfillment in our lives. We all have that opportunity. We have to make choices. 
Because multiplied choices are given to us every day and we choose how we'll spend the next. Thank you. I just want to say to you right now, I appreciate you for coming out this morning to spend the next 30 minutes with me. This hour and a half service with us here at Victory. Thank you. You made a choice. You've, spent, you've chosen to spend this time with us this morning and in the presence of God. And I honor that. I thank you. I think it's important that we recognize that all of these choices that we make, we deal with something that I want to call the tyranny of the urgent. Say that with me. The tyranny of the urgent. Charles Hummel, and I referred to this very briefly in my message last Sunday because all of this has been cooking in me, the whole series. Charles Hummel wrote a little small eight-page tract or like a pamphlet a number of years ago that's been used now for decades to help us see the difference between things that are important and things that are urgent. And there are a lot of things that are urgent that are screaming at you, like the filters in my house that needed to be not just cleaned but changed. And I, I do the vacuuming. Dawn does the mopping. We have our chores that we spread out and we do and we help each other in terms of things that have to be done to make our house work, just like everybody else does. And it's just so easy to go along and forget this thing that needs to be changed out or those filters that need to be vacuumed so that that system doesn't get clogged so that it does not freeze up and then keep running and then burn up. So that's pretty important. But yet, the, all the stuff that happens on a daily basis, the, the urgent things, can start to crowd out the important things. And this morning, I want to raise the bar. I don't want to just talk about cleaning filters as being important, because really, in the scheme of things, that's really kind of an urgent thing and not an important thing. Urgent things are like the grass that needs to be cut. Urgent things are like the oil that needs to be changed in the car. Well, is it going to kill you if you wait another day to get the oil changed or cut the grass? Because it just so happens there's an opportunity for you to be able to spend some special time with your son or your daughter or your wife who happens to need you at that very moment to be able to sit down and to open the word of the Lord together or maybe to take a moment and pray because the, the child has a test in school or maybe to, to encourage your husband or your wife or your spouse because the pressure is on at the work. No, no, I got to get these dishes washed. How many of you know those dishes will be there? They'll, they'll be there regardless. How many of you know your children need your encouragement? Your husband needs your respect. Your wife needs to know she is cherished by you, man of God. Are you hearing me this morning? Those are the important things. The urgent things will always make an attempt to crowd out the important things if we don't utilize the principle of priority. Now, I have a text that I want to jump into here in the Gospel of Luke. You remember the story in Luke chapter 10. Two ladies, sisters, Mary and Martha, Jesus makes an acquaintance, a friendship with these folks, and he likes to hang out with them. You remember in John 11, they have a brother that passes, and Jesus deliberately waits four days. He doesn't go when he's just sick, but he waits because God tells him to hang on, and that's another message in itself, and I don't want to travel any further down that rabbit trail. But Mary and Martha and Lazarus were three friends of Jesus that were personal relationships that he loved to hang with. He'd go there and Martha would cook. And you know, when they, evidently when they first met, they had just had, you know, founded this relationship and there was a real connection there and they, they enjoyed spending time together and Martha was privileged. She was excited that Jesus was coming to her house. 
Now, let me just say this. Probably most of the women in the room would probably do exactly what Martha did. Hey, this guy that all the stir is about, I mean, the news, he is on the cover of the Israeli Inquirer. I have seen his picture down at the local Kroger. And I'm telling you, he's visiting the city, and somebody said he was going to come by our house. Now, how many of you know Martha is going to head down there and get the best cut of meat? She's going to go to the market and get the freshest vegetables, and she's going to, like the lady said in Sweet Home Alabama, if I'd have known you was coming, we'd have put on the dog. (laughs) So Martha's busy trying to put on the dog. Now, for those of you that are listening on the internet in the South, we don't cook and eat dogs down here. It's just a colloquial expression that means you just put on the best show, put it all together do the, with all of your heart. Maybe, maybe, maybe some of my ethnic brothers know when you talk about your grandmother said, man, that stuff was so good she put a foot in it. Now, that's not literal either, okay? Whether you put your foot in it or you put, put on the dog, it's all about just doing the very best that you can. And, and we find this particular passage where Jesus speaks to Martha, and it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 41, But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about, everybody say, many things. He says, but one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Now, let me give you just a little bit of background about the passage that I just read. Because Jesus has shown up, and like anybody, you know, you hear he's coming, and he's going to stop at your house, and so you, you got the vacuum cleaner out, and you're trying to get all the towels folded and get them off of the counter and put them away, and all the, 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 the linens and the, the underwear and all the stuff because you hadn't got the laundry finished, but he's coming, so we got to push all this stuff and shove it in the closet and close the door. Push that stuff down in those drawers and shove it closed. Come on, you've done it. I know you have. Don't even look at me in that righteous tone. So Martha's scrambling around. Jesus has shown up. And Mary sits down in front of Jesus at his feet. And she is listening. She's soaking it up. She's taking it in. And so Martha looks around. And she's got a sweat going. Evidently, the AC's out in her little Pueblo, whatever it is they have in Israel. And she's just feeling a little bit hot. It's rising. And she's starting to get a little frustrated. Everybody say, Ticked off. If you read this whole passage, verses 39, 40, 41, 42, Martha basically goes to Jesus and she says, Hey, Lord, now look at this. There's something not righteous about this. Are you just going to leave Mary out here with me in the kitchen alone? The scripture says that she was distracted with her much serving. Now, How many of you know it's important to get Jesus a meal? But how many of you know it's not so important that you are so consumed with it that you miss the very reason you wanted to be with Jesus in the first place? Now, some of you ladies probably think, hey, I can totally relate to Martha. Maybe you're the worker in your family. Maybe there's some others who really enjoy, maybe they're the head of the fellowship committee. Years and years and years back, way, way, way when we first started, there was a person that was part of the church, and every time we'd have a work day, he just basically could go around and visit, and somebody basically said, hey, brother, you must be the head of the fellowship committee, because everybody else was working, and he's just kind of moving around from the group to group and talking and fellowshipping. Now, how many of you know when it's time to work, it's time to work, and there's work to be done, 
But also, you, you've got to recognize there's a, priority, a prioritization going on here. We've got the one that they're telling us out here in public that is possibly the Messiah. He has come to our house. His feet are under my table. Now, Jesus is basically saying, look, Martha, this thing isn't all about you cooking me a seven-course meal. Just get something together and come in here because I've got something that if you'll listen to me, it will change your life. And, and, and you know, this is, if there's, a, there's a real interesting point here. There's a tremendous point of interest because Jesus looks at a busy person and he basically says, wait a minute, you've left something off your to-do list. Think about it. Now, she's anxious about many things. She's serving. Man, she's got her, her Ginsu knife set that she ordered over the late night infomercial and she's working that thing and she's doing her julienne fries and she's got all this stuff going on. She got her George Foreman grill cooking. She got this whole meal just coming off. And man, she's, she's saying, hey, it's about to come together. I love it when a plan comes together, like Mr. T said in the A-team this week. I love it when a plan comes together. So it's starting to happen, but she's frustrated. And she vents on her sister and actually kind of vents on the Lord a little bit. And the Lord says, no, wait a minute, Martha. You've really, you're, you're totally off here. Mary has chosen the good portion, and it's not going to be taken away from her. Whoa. I'll be honest with you, I've never in my life been afraid to work. I had a job when I was a young teenager, working in music stores, trying to make a little bit extra money. <laughs> Wasn't born in a wealthy family by any stretch of the imagination. Was always working on weekends, working a few hours after school. So I've never been afraid to work, not afraid to work hard, not afraid to sweat. But sometimes it's important to not let the urgent things that are pulling on you and making demands on you make you miss out on the very best, most important things in your life. Jesus looked at a busy person. He basically says, you know what? You've left something off your to-do list. One thing is needful. One thing is necessary. Everybody say necessary. You know, we are so wrapped up. Our American mantra, when you go to a party and you meet new people, what's the first question you ask them? What do you do? That's the American mantra right there. Why? Because we are identified by what we do by our career. Our identity is wrapped up in. That's the reason I think it's so important in the church when you find a place to serve that you are willing to move around and do some different things and experience some things and not just let that one thing be associated with who you are and be wrapped up in your identity. Because God's growing this thing and he's bringing new people in and we're spreading this thing out. I, I, I'm trying to build a team here and share this and let people see that this is not all about the Mike Smith show. God knows I did so much of it for so long, for so many years. Wear myself out and I'm thankful to God he's brought people that are talented and that love Jesus and they're passionate and they're cutting loose. Man, I'm t it's amazing. We had a ministry team meeting last night and it just absolutely blew me away at the spirit that is in the house and people that have got ideas and they're just running with them. And it's so awesome to me to step back and go, you know what, I don't have to have my finger in every one of those pies anymore because able, capable people are standing up and taking the leadership and are doing what has to be done. But still, we don't want our identity wrapped up. You know, I, I, I recently thought about this. I thought, what if something happened? I had an accident and I lost a finger or even a hand. And I was thinking, am I secure enough in who I know that I am if I never played music again? 
Or God forbid, if something happened and I lost my voice and couldn't preach anymore. I mean, those are, those are things to think about. The, you know, if, if something happens in life, life changes, circumstances happen, things happen that we don't plan for and that God has a way of working all things together for our good. But when I'm in the middle of that process of him working it out, sometimes, and some of you are in those situations right now going, God, what is going on? You got laid off your job and your finances are in a mess and you're going, God, how are you going to get any glory out of this? I just want to say to you, instead of running around and being distracted by all the urgent things, make sure you find time for the important thing, the one thing. Because he knows all that you need. He knows you need food in your mouth and water in your, your body. He knows that you need clothes on your back. He knows the mortgage payment has to be paid. God is going to see that you are taken care of. When you make the main thing the main thing, God will take care of all of the what? All of the other things. It's so important that we recognize and not let the world define us. Fill in the blank there with me. We are defined by the world as to what we do. But we are defined by the kingdom as to who we are. Everybody say, I'm a child of the king. A joint heir with Jesus. An overcomer. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Born of God. The greater one is on the inside of me. I am blessed to be a blessing. Keep saying it. I'm blessed to be a blessing. The head and not the tail. Above and not beneath. I'm going over and not under. I am blessed. Amen. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning. The world defines you by what you do, but the kingdom defines you by who you are. You know, some of you are in situations right now, you've, you've, had, you've had a struggle and you've, you've missed it, you've made a mistake. Let's just call it what it is, you sinned. And you know what? But that's not who you are. That's something you did, and the scripture says all you have to do, first of all, let me just tell you right now, this is the perfect place for imperfect people because nobody in the room is finished. Everybody is still in process. And we, well, let me tell you, we fight when that pharisaical spirit of self-righteousness raises its head in this church. We do everything we can to graciously take out the sword of the spirit and cut the head of it off. Because I want sinners to come into this place and know that they can feel a safe place, that people will love them and experience the love and the presence of God, to know that God loves them right where they are, but he loves them too much to leave them where they are. Come on. It's not about what you do or about even what you did because once you have made him the king of your heart and the Lord of your life, it's no longer about do, but it's about who. It's about who you are. Come on, somebody. I love it. I love Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Listen to this. God gives us enough time to do his will. If we're not getting it done, then maybe we're not doing the will of God. Or maybe we're doing it the wrong way. God gives us all enough time to fulfill the perfect will for our lives, the destiny that he has on your life, Miss Ann, on you, Charlie and Ginger. 
God gives you the time to fulfill the perfect will. He's done it. He's given it to me. Now, whether I finish that or not is all dependent on the choices that I make, the priorities that I set into place, whether I keep the one thing, the one thing. If I'll make the main thing, the main thing, God will take care of all of the other things. I think it's important that we recognize that we have time with God. We spend time in the Word. We spend time in prayer that we, we, we never get too busy to pray. Matter of fact, Bill Hybels wrote a book years ago called Too Busy Not to Pray. And he tells a story about the great reformer, Martin Luther, who basically changed the face of Christianity in 1517 when he nailed the 95 theses to the church door in Wittenberg. And the Reformation began. He began to preach out of the book of Habakkuk and Romans and Galatians on the just shall live by faith. And it changed the face of Christianity because instead of it being a, uh, a religion based on what you do, on works, on earning your salvation, which the whole Roman Catholic Church was preaching that message for literally centuries. To, to give you a big $100 theological word, it was called Pelagianism. It was all about everything that I could do to try and place. And then knowing that I rid, wouldn't die and go to heaven, I would end up in an intermediary place called purgatory. And that my, 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 my relatives who loved me would have to pray for me. And, and hopefully in a few thousand years could get me out of purgatory. The Reformation began because John Tetzel comes along and he literally writes a little, kind of a little ditty that they would declare and sing and he would say, every time a coin into the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. And they were literally selling salvation. They were selling indulgences and God spoke to Martin Luther and Martin began to see out of the word, God caused it to emblaze on his heart and it came alive that the just shall live by faith. Why are you going historical on this pastor? Because it has everything to do with what I'm preaching, that's why. Because it's not what you do. It's not about what you do. Even your relationship with the Lord is not what about what you do. It's about what He has already done. It's all about I'm defined in the kingdom as to who I am, not what I do. I'm not a human doing. I'm a human being. Bill Hybels tells the story about Martin Luther literally saying this when he knew he was going to have a terrifically busy day. He would deliberately get up earlier in the morning and set aside more time to pray. He would pray an extra hour because Martin knew this important principle. He knew that if he was empowered by the presence of God to accomplish the enormous amount of work that had to be done, he could get so much more done by the aid of the Holy Spirit, by the strength of the one who was on the inside of him, the one who by his strength he could do all things. He knew that if he put his, put his trust in him and he depended on him, he could get so much more done than he could in his own ability and in his own strength. It works the same way with me trusting God with the tithe. God says, put him first. Prioritize him. Give it to him off the top. The tithe is the Lord's. The tithe is not whatever's left over after all the bills are paid and I get everything that I want and I go, okay, God, well, I'm going to bless you with this little bit that's left. No, when we really prioritize God, when we seek first his kingdom, it's not just in my prayer life, but it's in my giving. I give to God and I say, God, I'm going to give you off the top because when, I, when you sanctify this first part, this first fruits, I give it to you first, then you've promised that you were going to put your favor and bless the other 90%, everything else that was left. And I want to tell you, I'm convinced that I can do a whole lot more with God-blessed 90% than I could do with my own 100% that I'm holding and hoarding and not giving to God what's His. All right? That's the free part. I didn't even have that in my notes. 
Today we see a worker, and we want to plug them in immediately. They come to church twice. Let me tell you, we don't do that way at Victory. I sat down this week with a wonderful lady in this church. She's on vacation. I'm going to go ahead and say who it is. It's Haley Vest. I so love Haley. Is just emanating the Spirit of God. And, and recently made a transition from a different church, and she said, I just want to thank you, Pastor, for the, for the transition that, that you've just made it so easy. And she said, I'm thankful that I've been able to sit down here for the last just a few months and to really rest and to be fed and to know that I wasn't coming in on the second Sunday immediately going to be the head of the bus ministry. Let me tell you something. When you come to Victory, we don't hit you the next week we see you when we're going, okay, what's your name again? Oh, by the way, can you handle this for us? We don't do that. We want to get a chance to get to know you. We want to give you to get to find a place where, where your heart is. What do you love to do? Because Jesus said, listen, in Matthew 11, and this is not in the notes, he said, Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, come unto me, all you that labor and are what? Heavy laden. He says, and I will give you what? Rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me tell you, when you get Jesus custom designed couture, you get Jesus custom designed yoke made for you. It fits you. It fits your shape. It fits your spiritual gifts. It fits what's in your heart, S-H-A-P-E. It fits your abilities. It fits your personality type. It fits your life experiences. That yoke fits you. And guess what? You won't burn out because you can do that in your sleep with two hands tied behind your back. And you love to do it. But the last thing you need to do is be pressured into doing, 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 doing. Well, guess what? We have a need in this area, and you're the candidate. And that's how so many churches work, and people get burned out. Let me tell you, we don't want anybody to burn out. We want you to do something that you love to do, that you just consumed with passion and, and serving Jesus with all of your heart, and don't even have to think about it. How many know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys in the room are so gifted mechanically. Let me tell you, it's all I can do to keep my sanctification at Christmas when I see a box that says some assembly may be required. That's just demonic. I, I remember, and you know, I mean, it's just my dad was a mechanic. He could do it. I mean, he could tear, take it apart, put it back together again, and it's amazing how it would work and just make it work. And, and Dewey and I, neither one, were gifted in that. And I, I go buy a new grill, and I go, okay, how much do you charge me to put it together and deliver it? <laughs> I don't want to put that thing together because <laughs> there'll be fire shooting out the side if I put it together. <laughs> how many of you know what I'm talking about? That's not my gift. There are things that I can do that I love to do. And let me tell you something. I'll hurt somebody if i got to put something together like that. I'm just kidding. Well, maybe not. But uh, Anybody get anything out of this this morning? Second thing, and I'm finished. When you make the main thing the main thing, God will take care of all the other things. Secondly, this morning, I want to talk to you just for a minute about the tyranny of possessions. The tyranny of possessions. We all heard this big bugaboo story about the bark of the beast. And I'm not going to do a big, huge thing to open that up this morning because I think there's a whole spiritual understanding there that most of them have missed, making it all literal. It's not the barcode on your bread. It's not the social security number plus your nine-digit zip code. Nine plus nine is 18, which happens to be a multiple of six plus six plus six. I mean, you talk about crazy ideas that people come up with.
you know, we all know that Ronald Wilson Reagan really was the Antichrist because his name all had six letters, Ronald Wilson Reagan 666. And they were just sure Clinton was. And I'm, 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 I'm editing, I'm stopping right there. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. In, in the Greek, each of the letters has a numerical value that's added to it. So in other words, when you use the word righteousness, dikaiosune, it actually has a numerical value to it because the, 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 the lettering system is also a numerical system at the same time. The, the numerical value for the Greek equivalent of Jesus Christ is 888. It's pretty cool, huh? Eight's the number of new beginnings. Three-eighths is the completion of God's new creation. And, 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 and I, I want to be careful and not chase this rabbit too far down the road, but I just want to tell you this. There are two very, very critical words that are important to us that if they're not used properly, I want you to recognize they have the mark of the beast all over them because the numerical equivalent for the Greek word for tradition is 666. Tradition can be a blessing as long as it's a living thing. Chuck Swindoll at Catalyst was honored with the Lifetime Achievement Award with 12,000 leaders there, and Alex was there with me. And he gave a quote that day that absolutely amazed me. And he said, tradition is the living faith of the dead, but traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Tradition. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. But traditionalism, where I feel like I've got to do it like Granny did it, because that's basically the way it's always been done. How many of you know faithfulness is not doing it the way it's always been done? With every generation, God has a fresh word. He has a new sound. There's a new form of worship, a new kind of music. He's always restoring line upon line, Isaiah 28, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. He's building back into the body of Christ, restoration, what was lost, bringing it back to us again. Jesus said, your traditions make the word of God of no effect, Mark 7, 11. And when you put something up in front of the word, you've just made it more powerful than the word. You've made it void. You've made it of no effect. Well, another word that's very important to us is the word wealth. It also has the equivalent of 666. Mark of the beast is all over the money. You know what? Money is neither moral nor immoral. It is amoral, but it becomes, it takes on the characteristics of those who are using it. And if we use it for godly means, God will bless it. But you know, Jesus didn't say to any other thing, you can't serve leaders, you can't serve tyrants and God, you can't serve any of these other things that might be temptations to you. The only thing he said you can't serve God and was God and money, God and mammon. So wealth is dangerous. It is a blessing. It is a tool that we can use if we will use it properly. The Bible says the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all evil. How many of you don't know you don't have to have any of it to be possessed with that kind of love that is the root of all evil? You can be poe as Job's turkey and you can have so much love for money that it's evil is working in all kinds of ways in your life. Wealth. 666 has the mark of the beast all over it. This is the reason that possessions can tyrannize us. And Jesus says to this one 
rich young ruler. Matthew, I mean, sorry, Luke 18. Guy comes to Jesus and he's pretty excited. He's, he sees leadership on Jesus' life. He sees him doing miracles. He sees him preaching a word and blind eyes are being opened and deaf ears are being unstopped and the, the gospel's being preached to the poor and people are being set free. The captives are being set free and, and he's, he's recognizing this. He's grown up in a religious home. He does love God. He's kept the commandments and he goes to Jesus and he basically says, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, honor your father and mother, keep the Sabbath. He lists the commandments. And the, the, young, the rich young ruler says this, he says, you know something, I grew up hearing these, and you know, I've really, I've kept those, I've never murdered anybody, I've, I've not committed adultery, I've not taken any man's wife, I've not stolen from anybody, I've kept the Sabbath, I've honored my parents, and Jesus recognizes that there is something working down on the inside of him that he does not even recognize himself. It basically is the first commandment. Number one, priority. Seek first. Thou shall have no other gods, what? Before my face, what the scripture says. Second one is thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images that, that are pictures or have any kind of idols. And so the first two has to do with what's first in your life. What is prioritized? What is the main thing in your life? And Jesus looks at him and he tells him, he recognizes the idolatrous thing that is working in him. And he says, when Jesus heard this, he said, one thing you still lack. Everybody say one thing. One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come Follow me. What's the point of interest here? I think this is amazing. Jesus looks at a rich young ruler who has the appearance of having everything, and he looks at him and he says, Wait a minute, man, you've really got it all together. You know, you've been on the program Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Joan Rivers has showed your crib, they've, they've seen your pad. You know, you've got it all happening. You've got a, you're an entrepreneur, you're rich, you're young, and you're a ruler, you're influential. Most pastors see that guy walk through the door and they want to make him the head of the deacon board. Because he's got it all going on, man. He's on the cover of GQ. He's good looking. He's rich. He's young. He's influential. He's got people following him. What does Jesus do? Now, he lays out a hard saying right there. He says, my brother, I really do believe that you've kept those, but there's one that you don't even realize that's become an idol to you, and that's your money. Even though you have everything, you still lack something. Isn't it amazing? Jesus looked at a woman who was busy, and he said, you still need to do one thing. You do, there's one thing on your to-do list. He looks at a rich guy who has everything. This is spirituality for the man who has everything. Some of you struggle with what to buy for dad because he's got everything. How, how do you buy something for somebody who has everything? They've got it in every color and every size. Everything available. Jesus looks at the rich young ruler, and he says, man, you lack something. There's something you don't have. This money has so got a hold of you, you need to go give it away. And of course, what Jesus intended to do was multiply it back to him, 30, 60, and 100 fold. God never takes anything away from you that he doesn't give you something bigger and better in its place. Come on. I'm tying it back together right now. The law of reduction... The law of reduction is all about Jesus removing something because in this upside-down kingdom, when he subtracts, he actually has the intention of adding something so much better to me than I ever thought or imagined that he was going to do.
Can I have an amen this morning? Rick Warren said this, Never confuse your value with your valuables, nor your self-worth with your net worth. Isn't that good? See, because if you lose it all tomorrow, you still are who you are. Now look at this. Get this, get this this morning. Here we are. Jesus says, where's your heart in this matter? Because I got, you got to realize something. You can have everything, but if you have everything without Jesus, you have nothing. You can have everything. You, 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 you can be the man with your 15 minutes of fame going on right now in your life, in the world, but you can have all that stuff and not have Jesus, and you have nothing. Jesus says, where's your heart in this matter? Because, see, the world defines us by what we have, but the kingdom defines us as to who has us. Who has you? To Martha, it was about what she did. That was her identity. To the rich young ruler, it was about what he had. And Jesus looked at both of them and he said, one thing you need, one thing you lack. It's all about this law of reduced necessity. What do I really need more than anything, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need, I don't just need to have a nice little touchy-feely experience. I need to know the Word of God. I love going, hearkening back to last week when I preached, it's all about the experience of having a testimony that changes your life. The blind man said, one thing I know, I once was blind, but now I see. What your testimony might be that you've been bound, and don't give up until you can say, I once was bound, but now I'm free. Yeah. Hallelujah. God wants to bless you with things, but we should own things and not things own us. One more time, say it with me as I finish. When you make the main thing the main thing, God will take care of all the other things. I've got some questions at the bottom of your message notes there, and I want you to look at it with me real quick as I bring this message down to a close. What is important in my life? What do I seek first? What is the main thing? What is my one thing? What choices am I making to honor that? I, I think it's important that we just take this last few seconds together today and we really ask God to examine our heart. Now, this is a challenge message. This is both to believers and to those of this morning that might be seekers, and maybe you don't have the certainty in your heart yet that Jesus is who he claims to be. So I'm talking to everybody today. If you're really serious about answering this question, that I challenge you to look at two things. Dr. Billy Graham said, if you really want to see where your heart is, show me your calendar and your checkbook. What are you doing with your time and with your treasure. And this all comes down to Martha in my life and the rich young ruler in my life. What am I doing? The many things or the one thing that's needful? What do I have? But what do I lack? Is there something that I have that's so gripped me that I can't let it go? Because I have the understanding that the greater one who owns all things is mine and he has me. That's a hard challenge. A lot of us say we, Jesus is Lord of our lives. 
but then we go all week long and we never crack our Bible open. We don't make any attempt whatsoever to even flip in a praise CD or just take a moment and give God praise. We're eating every meal we eat and we don't give God thanks for the food that goes into our bodies. I I, I don't want to condemn you this morning. I just want to challenge you. What are we doing with our time? What Jesus is Lord of my heart? Okay, fine. Show me your checkbook. What, how, how, do, you, do you tithe? Do you, do you give God what's His? Do you trust Him with that first part, the first fruits, to seek Him first and then trust Him that He's going to bless the other 90? It's hard. But God says, I'll never, ever truly know Him the way He wants to reveal Himself to me until I learn how to, honest to goodness, put Him first place in every way with the stuff I do, with my calendar, my time, and with my money. Because he is the one thing. He is everything. What do I need to give up or lay down to honor the most important thing? You know what? When you read the rest of the story about the rich young ruler, the Bible says he went away sad. One translation says sad, but actually the Greek word is mad. He was ticked off. He was angry. And so I just ask you this morning, just very very gingerly and as pastorally as I possibly can. When you hear a message like this, does it relieve you or does it anger you? Because if there's a little bit of anger, then that shows you right there there's some priority issues that we need to go before God and say, God, reorder my heart. I want to make you, one, make you a number one. I want you to be first place. The gospel of God has the ability to transform every area of your life, but so many times it doesn't because we've never given him those areas. Are you hearing me this morning? I want to ask you this question. For those of you that are seekers today, there's going to be an opportunity for everybody in the room, for Christians alike, to, to make a fresh commitment to say, God, I want to make you first. I want you, I want you to be the one thing. I, I, I want to, to capture the one thing that's needful and spend time at your feet and seek your face. And, and God, I want to make sure that everything that I have is all yours. Everything I've got. So Lord, that you know you can do anything with it that you want to. Because you are the most important thing to me. More than any of this stuff, I'm not defined by what I have. A man's soul does not consist of the multitude of his possessions. But I want you. I want you, Lord. I want you, Jesus. I want you. I just, I sat on the front row and I wept as Bernie and Scott and Abby sang. Feels like I'm living. Feels like I'm born again. You know what? I want that for everybody in this room this morning. I want you to have that kind of peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding. And you know what? You can't have that in your finances if they stand in front of Jesus. You can't have that in your life, in your busyness, in your career, and all the stuff. And you know what? This even has to do with serving in church. Let me tell you, if any of your relationships are hindered because you feel pressured because of what you're doing, talk to me. Let's get it in order because Jesus comes first before anything that we do before anything that we have. Amen? I want every head bowed, every eye closed. And First of all, I want to just speak to those that are seekers this morning. I want to ask you the question, do you know Jesus Christ truly as your personal Savior? Have you ever asked Him to come into your heart? The Bible says that none of us has any ability whatsoever 
to be able to make heaven based on our own goodness. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everybody in this room has blown it. If we say we have no sin, the Bible says we are liars. But Jesus gives us a remedy to that. He says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's everybody in this room that is saint and sinner alike. And so I would just say to you, if you're a seeker this morning and you don't know with, with a, beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ has come into your heart and you want that kind of peace, you, you want to, to understand and to, to experience this life filled with joy and the goodness of God that I've been talking about this morning by putting him first place, then I just want to ask you today, if you'd like to be included in this first prayer that I'm going to pray, I'd just like you to raise your hand if you would, anybody in the room. You want to know Jesus as your personal Savior. Anybody. And there's one hand back there, and there's another one. Thank you. There's, there's two more over here. Anybody? Yes, I see that one there. Anybody over here? Father, I just thank you in the name of Jesus for these who've raised their hands this morning and who wanted to be included in this prayer. And I pray in the name of Jesus right now that as we as a congregation join alongside them and just pray this simple prayer, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is going to do a move and work and act in each of these hearts and these three today. Everybody pray with me right now. Say, Father... Thank you for the word of the Lord. I receive it today. Come into my heart, Jesus. Forgive me my sins. Be first place. Thank you that you died for me. I put my trust in you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you make me new. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, every head still bowed.